welcome to Fireside Chats with Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. My name is Julieta Romero, and I'm the Fireside Chats podcast fellow at UCCD. These Fireside Chats are short conversations with Utah's citizen diplomats who are reformulating the American worldview by bringing their global experience back home to Utah. I'm excited to host two amazing women who do important work with the Latinx and immigrant community through various social and educational programs and events with an organization called Comunidades Unidas. Brianna and Fanny, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Um, well, my name to start off is Estefania de Lucas, um, but I also go by Fanny de Lucas, so just Fanny is a little bit sweeter and simpler. I've been with Comunidades Unidas for over a year now, honestly. Kind of just started doing some volunteer work, um, just kind of helping out, you know, on the sidelines. And then throughout my story, um, because I also am part of the undocumented community, um, throughout my story, I just had this passion and just this vision that aligned so much with CU that it just devoted me to be more and more involved. And um, that's where I am here today with my colleague, Brianna, um, immigrant rights team. I'm the immigrant rights mobilizer. And it's just being part of a team that wants other people to hear other people's narratives is so important, mostly when some narratives are not even heard or acknowledged. So I just have a huge passion to it just because I face it, I live it day to day. And if I can knock on the door for somebody else, then I'm just all about that. Uh, my name is Brianna Puga. She, her, a pronouns. I'm the immigrant rights community organizer at Comunidades Unidas, translated to Communities United. Um, a little bit about myself is that I grew up in a single immigrant, single parents immigrant household um, with my mom and my four siblings and I, you know, just seeing her back to back day to day, you know, always putting in the grind, you know, my, my slang coming out the grind and so forth, so forth, putting in the work. Um, to, you know, push her, push her family forward, put, you know, and push herself forward um, to reach, you know, more opportunities and so forth. I was privileged enough to be born in the States, you know, but again, my mom was undocu. And so seeing her, you know, again, put in that grind every day kind of put me to where I am today. I currently have been serving as an employee of immigrant rights with Comunidades Unidas for a year. I started volunteering with the organization when I was a, a junior, sophomore in, in high school. So I've been with CU for a few years now as a volunteer and then made my way, worked my way into uh, the, the, the current uh, position that I am today and with um, same as Fanny. You know, um, we, live in a, we live in a state where, in a really red conservative state, right, where there's like a lot of folks who aren't so much with the immigrant community, you know, nothing in comparison to New York or California, where it's like New York has is like its own country, right? They have so many resources and so many services for, for Indocu folks. So we want to do our best to create political change, um, create some political power within our community here. That's amazing. You both share really beautiful stories. So to dive into the topic of this chat, what is DACA and what is currently happening with it under the Biden administration? DACA, it was created in 2012 by Obama through executive action. Um, the DACA program creates like a, a permit for, for folks to be able to have the opportunity to go to work, to go to school. It's for folks between the ages of 16 to 30. 
And well, on October 5th of this year, after waiting and having, you know, for, for an answer from um, the judge, federal judge, and, you know, the government in general, um, on October 5th, 5th, they announced that they were throwing the DACA decision back to a lower court, another federal judge named Judge Hannon, who is, well, we could say is uh, anti, anti-immigration. Um, he's, you know, announced some statements regarding, you know, DACA and immigrants in general that aren't so much in favor. And that having it be thrown back to that judge and also having it, you know, be stalled again, once again, for our for our documented folks is is heartbreaking, right? Because they're, you know, allowing renewals, right? They're allowing doc, uh, folks to renew their DACA, which is great, which is awesome. But they are still halting uh, applications at this moment. So no, no new applicants are able to apply for the program just yet. And that holds back so many folks. Um, I could pull up the stats here, but that holds so many fo- um, folks back. And it's just really, it's just really creates so much frustration, so much anxiety, so much, you know, just anger and mixed emotions to, to the community because the DACA community is constantly in limb, right? I mean, in limbo. Uh, halting these applications and not permitting like new applicants to apply to the program is very unjust because there are folks that have been waiting to to apply and to get that opportunity but aren't able to because of you know the halt of the application and because they're throwing this case back and back and forth to this judge that judge and it just creates so much again so much anxiety you know, we have people coming up to us asking us like, man, am I ever going to see the light of DACA? Am I ever going to be able to have that opportunity to just obtain this permit, you know? What does the DACA population in Utah look like? And how will these recent changes under the Biden administration affect the DACA population in Utah? So with that one, we do have a couple stats that um, we wanted to bring up to the podcast, right? Um, so as of now, well, not as of now, sorry, 8,490 active DACA recipients lived in Utah as of March 2020, while DACA has been granted to 10,688 people in total since 2012. As of 2019, 74% of DACA eligible immigrants in Utah had applied for DACA. An additional 3,000 residents of the state would satisfy all but the educational requirements for DACA and fewer than 1,000 would become eligible as they grew older. So I think with that, it's already saying how many people in Utah, A, have DACA and how many people were eligible for DACA and unfortunately now are not eligible for DACA. To go off your your second question, right, how will these recent changes affect the DACA population? I think we're in a place where we demand a lot from people, right? We demand people to be educated. We demand people to have um, a certain amount of income. We demand people to go to higher education. We demand so much from people. And I think it's really unfortunate that we're in a society who demands a lot, but gives so little, mostly to the people who need it the most. So I think with that, the changes that would affect the DACA population are incredibly high, even for those people who were eligible before October 5th, right? And now we're not eligible. It will grant a huge frustration, a huge desperation in those folks who are trying to attend school, who are trying to attend higher education, who are trying to provide for their families. With that being said, I just think it's really unfortunate that we're in a society, once again, who we ask for so much for these people, for these kids, for these folks, and we give them so little. And once they do have a little bit of it, we want to take it away. Do you know where the stock of population in Utah, where they, where their country of origin is? 
So the majority, I'm obviously undocu and documented folks come from all over the world, right? But from what we've been seeing is that the majority are coming from Mexico, Venezuela, India, and that's the top three, I believe, top three populations for the state of Utah currently from like the stat back in 2020, right? We're now in 2022. So a lot could happen in two years. So from 2022, that's what it said. <laughs> that's what we got. <laughs> that's really interesting. You know, I've always heard of the DACA population coming from Mexico and a lot of Latin America, but I would have never really considered India. How do dreamers contribute to this country and how will it negatively impact the United States and Utah if DACA is ended? Financially, economically, they contribute a lot. But I also feel that even just the part of our culture, I think our culture is what makes up America, right? Other than the money, other than the economy, like our culture is what America was built on. America is culture. The United States has a whole different types of culture. We have different restaurants, different industries everywhere that we go. Culture is a huge thing that DACA people, DACA members, and documented people contribute to this country. So getting rid of DACA members, getting rid of those members, literally, you're getting rid of the culture that is standing here in the United States. You're getting rid of pieces of the body that are here to make it work, right? We're all here to make this country work. We're all here to, you know, in some shape or form, be part of it be part of a solution, not a problem. So by affecting these people, by affecting these folks, you're getting rid of parts of the body that are coming to help this country work, coming to help this country contribute, coming to help build this place. So I think economically, financially, culturally, and even just building up America is going to affect if we ever decide to keep on just, as my compañera would say, just putting um, a Band-Aid in the situation and not giving a permanent solution. Piggybacking off of what Fanny just said, yeah, documented folks, you know, um, contribute a lot to the economy, um, strengthening, no, they strengthen our work labor, our workforce as well. Um, The majority of documented folks, obviously, are are within... a lot of them are part of uh, the farming industry, the inf- infrastructure industry, mental health, healthcare in general, right? Um, a lot of folks are, you know, in the process of being CNAs, nurses, and so forth. And with, um, and also, you know, there's a big, there's a lot of power within like uh, paying federal um, taxes and state and local taxes as well. A lot of documented folks, you know, are in the process of creating their businesses and creating their small businesses and and being self-employees and and business owners in general. So that's really awesome as well. And obviously, that's a big plus for our economy at a state level. How does a program like DACA promote diplomacy? And this is a really broad question, so you can take it however you want to. But how would you say it contributes to diplomacy? I mean, for me, I can I could state that you know, DACA DACA folks come from all over the world, right? In um, Europe, they come from all over the world: Europe, Asia, South America, everywhere, right? So you know, creating um, those connections also from like their home country to the United States could promote diplomacy as well. It, diplomacy refers to repre- representatives of different groups. Um, discussing such issues as conflict, trade, or the environment, technology, or security. I think DACA, you know, implements a lot when it comes to diplomacy because 
you're having, again, going back to what I was saying in the beginning, not to be redundant, but it comes back to the cultural. You get a lot of folks that are from different cultures that add on, right? You can learn a lot from different people. You can learn a lot from people from their background, from where they come from, how they were raised, what their culture is like. So I think they bring that to the table because we learn from other people. We're, we don't have it all put together. We don't know what we're doing. You know, every day we're learning and we're growing. And what better is it to grow and learn together? I feel like that's just an amazing trait, kind of like when we were talking about the percentages of populations, right? So if you have like a Venezuelan, you have a Mexican, you have a person from India, you have a person from, I don't know, wherever it could be, you learn so much from each other. You learn so much to actually grow and build a better community, a better country, a better world. So I think that's what DACA folks bring to the table, being able to just be open to learn and open to teach. And I think that's the most amazing thing of it all. Excellent. And I totally agree about learning from each other. Um, I think that's how we can develop as a society. So that's really well said. I think we're in a society that we should probably put two and two together and should probably start thinking about each other and other people versus just what we have or what we're used to. I think we're in a world that is now getting to grow and to learn so much about previous mistakes and previous things that history has done. I think right now, if it's just letting someone go to school, have a job, mostly if they have been here for such a long time and are proving to be an asset to this country, there is no point to keep on punishing them. Um, I think something else that we've learned in the long run is that DACA has honestly been a help to our community, but it's also traumatized our community. It's also made our community feel like they're just one day here, one day not here, and that their lives can be like juggled around and taken away whenever it's pleased. So I think if we can learn that people's lives are nothing to be played with and that it's time to take our community seriously and to take all those people seriously who are trying to be an asset to this community, to this country, I think we could grow so much from that. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. To learn more about today's guests, and our fireside chats, check out our website, utahdiplomacy.org, as well as explore our website to learn more about how to get involved with diplomacy in Utah, one handshake at a time.